Hi, I'm Rabbi Jim Egolf, and I want to thank you for tuning into this podcast. This week, um, well, this particular episode, I'm going to talk uh, about my first student pulpit way back when, before I was a rabbi, uh, that I had during 1990 and 91 in McGee, Arkansas. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, some uh, of the issues that were flying around during that time that are still with us today, such as whether or not we should be burning Qurans and whether or not certain structures should be built so that um, uh, Muslims have a place in our world as well, and what that has to do with Jews in our country today, and the situation that we face, or that we don't face, or maybe just the situation that we take for granted. If you would like to comment or respond, you can always email me at rav, as in Victor, J-I-M, at AOL.com, or you can always call me at area code 610-624-3441. Again, I thank you for joining me. student pulpit was Mayor Chaim Temple in McGee, Arkansas. In its heyday, McGee was a picturesque small town on a railroad line with a thriving downtown. It was the kind of small town where no one locked their doors. Only businesses really ever locked anything. Even the churches and the one synagogue in town remained unlocked. One afternoon, I was rolling the Torah for Yom Kippur in McGee. I came to the Parsha Kiddoshim and noticed a discoloration on the scroll. The back of the scroll was brownish, and there were two white horizontal strips that cut across the middle of the scrolls. I asked what had happened to the scroll, and I learned about the fire at Meir Chaim Temple. One day, Smoke was noticed rising from the synagogue, and a minister across the street ran into the building to see what was happening. A fire had started. The fire had spread to the ark, and while the minister may not have known much about Judaism or synagogues, he knew that the scrolls were of supreme importance. One by one, he carried all four scrolls to his office and placed them on his desk for safekeeping. The scrolls were saved, but the argument was just beginning. There were members of the synagogue who were outraged by the minister's efforts to save the scrolls. How dare he steal our sacred scrolls, they grumbled. Of course, when the question was posed, so you would have been happier if the minister had let the Torahs be destroyed by the fire? The naysayers retreated, though they were still disgruntled. The story of Meir Chaim Temple reminds me of both the positive role that religion can play as well as those negative possibilities. For a minister to think enough of his neighbors as to make their concern his concern, to see anyone live by the hafta v'reach kamocha, love your neighbor as yourself, is a relationship we can all strive for. Acting 
in believing with courage often requires us to straddle between our emotional reactions and that which is just and right. Courage is what we want to see in people. The ability to do the right thing even when it may not be in our personal interests, but because a sense of right, of good and justice, compels us to higher actions, compels us to listen to our Yetzer Hartov, our good inclination. Our emotional reactions often lead us to the Yetzer Hara, or bad inclinations. As a society, how do we understand one versus the other? What are the social Yetzer Haras that are out there? Or what makes it possible? And how are they tempered by a Yetzer Hatov? I believe this is best explained in the words of, well, Mahatma Gandhi, who felt that in the modern age, these were spiritually, these following were spiritually perilous to our society. Wealth without work, pleasure without conscience, science without humanity, knowledge without character, politics without principle, commerce without morality, worship without sacrifice. Now, we might, anyone of us might agree that any one of these things on the left hand of the first column I mentioned, left unchecked, unchecked, would be dangerous to a society. In most cases, each places our personal priorities ahead of a common good. They lead us away from that which we know to be true, right, and just. Thus, many believe that they're entitled to wealth, pleasure, science, knowledge, politics, commerce, and worship without work, conscience, humanity, character, principle, morality, and sacrifice. To Gandhi's list, I would put the following two up as for consideration. Love without acceptance and courage without involvement. It is our courage, our involvement, that brings these characteristics, that makes us move these characteristics that temper the possible Yetzirah, the possible person out of control, makes us bring these back into the conversation. It is, it, it, our Yetzirah Tov calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves, which are we are charged to do because, and we don't like to think about this, it does not come naturally. When it does occur, you get this minister in McGee, Arkansas, who runs and saves the Torahs. As if charged by Gandhi, the minister knew their importance, and he had the character to act. He had a sense of his own religious duty, his own worship, and was willing to sacrifice and enter a smoke-filled synagogue. In McGee, the fire was an accident. But our recent news has been full of a new intentional act involving burning sacred books. You have have to be living under a rock to have missed the stories about the pastor of a small church in Florida who wanted to burn Qurans. The initial stated reason for this was to commemorate the attacks of 9-11, but the pastor later linked his actions to the proposed Islamic Center in New York City. What is happening to the values of our country?
When did our society change from the one where a minister would run into a burning synagogue to save Torah scrolls to one where a minister would burn a sacred book as an act of hatred or pettiness or revenge for a national tragedy? Ironically, millions of American soldiers who swore an oath to defend the right to freedom of expression that Pastor Jones threatened to exercise would have found themselves in greater danger if he'd carried out his threat. Jones's actions only confirm the popular attitude that somehow our wars are against Islam and not against terrorism. American soldiers understand that acting and believing with courage often requires us to choose between our emotional reactions and that which is just and right and honorable even when those whom they must protect add to the danger of their missions. Defending his actions, CNN reported the following about Pastor Jones. He said, We're burning, we are burning the book, Jones said. We are not killing someone. We are not murdering people. Maybe he is not murdering people, but we are all too aware as we were warned by the poet and author Heinrich Hein, that burning books is not a good start to anything. Hein wrote, that was but a prelude. Where they burn books, they will ultimately burn people also. What we do sets a precedent for current and future generations. It is unthinkable that we would not heed Hein's warning. Then again, if we hearken back to the words of Edmund Burke, he said, those who do not know history are destined to repeat it. The questionable attempt to tie together the burning of a Quran with the Islamic Center proposed in New York City seems more of a convergence of convenience than anything else. This, too, should make us worry. Let me start by saying, there are people for whom 9-11 was not something that occurred on television. Most likely, somebody listening to this sermon knows a victim of the events of that day. There is a mix of emotions and a range of opinions regarding this proposed center. Some, like Nancy Nee, who lost her 35-year-old brother, a firefighter, feel that such an Islamic center is a slap in the face, while others like Herb Aouda, who lost his son Todd, sees the Islamic center as a step towards a better world. Other emergency workers from that day see it differently. Marvin Betha offers, I understand the families are hurt and lost, he said, but how do you sit here and condemn all Muslims as being terrorists? That's just bigotry and hatred. We are a better nation than that. The diversity that we have, this is what New York is about. We have such prejudices, some of us, we have a long way to go. We do have a long way to go. And the direction we take is our choice. We have a history of religious tolerance in our country. Will we now aspire to be a country that trades on its fears and not its hopes? Will our fears cause us to deny rights and opportunities from which many Jews have benefited? I feel this is a real watershed point in the American experiment 
where the rule of law, where freedom and justice for all, could become more talk than talkless. Tonight, the distance between our talk and talkless, between our oaths taken and those not fulfilled, this is the reason we have Kol Nidre. Our mournful conversation is about how we strove for all the things on the one side of Gandhi's list, and how often, too often, we have abandoned the other side. It is about how we like our conveniences and treat them as entitlements, as the way the world is just supposed to work. Should anything threaten them, we feel immediately more drawn to choices that ensure our ease over the call to a righteous choice. The challenge between acting and believing with courage and our emotional reactions leading us away from that which is just and right. This is the reason for Kol Nidre. Our perceived right to wealth, pleasure, science, knowledge, politics, commerce, and worship without work, conscience, humanity, character, principle, morality, and sacrifice. That is why we have Kol Nidre. As we struggle with the issue of whether or not to burn a Quran, or the idea of our emotional reactions against the proposed Islamic Center versus the civil and legal rights of American citizens who are Muslim, this is why we have Kol Nidre. We know that we are falling short in the area of having the courage to bridge our feelings and painful reactions with a country that proclaims peace and justice for all, and a variety of religious traditions that teach love your neighbor as yourself. Because I believe that aspiring towards the right choices takes courage, you can understand my concern when we call ourselves home of the brave, but bravery, bravery is not readily found in these vital conversations. If we do not have the courage to lend freedom to all the lawful inhabitants of our land, we should worry. Our own status may be favored today, but if the actions of 19 hijackers can call into question the civil rights of 2.5 million Muslim American citizens, then we should question how safe we or any minority is or can be. If we live in a country where our emotional reactions trump civil rights, even at the expense of other citizens, then we are moving away from and not towards civil rights. As a country and society that has been the hope and envy of the world, our fear may have the power to do what our enemies could not. It may have the ability to conquer the promise so often found in America. This is a difficult issue for us as Jews. On the one hand, it's about equal rights, but there is so much emotion caught up into the discussion. It is about America and her promise inscribed on the image that embodies freedom. Give me your tired your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. 
send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. Many of our ancestors arrived to the promise of these words. We sought the lamp, the nation that would be a light and hope, and we are the proof that our society is the hope for many. If we are stewards of that hope for future generations, we must hand them a place with the aspiration that would have Christians argue for the rights of Jews, Jews defend the rights of African Americans and Muslims, Muslims argue for rights beyond their own. We are a society that began as a huddled bunch of huddled masses. We were wretched refuse. We became this great country. We were to be a nation that focused not upon becoming and not simply being. How we preserve, transmit, and generate these possibilities in future generations is the test of every generation, and today it is our test. Acting and believing with courage often requires us to choose between our emotional reactions and that which is right and just. We must stand up against someone who would burn a book to make a religious or political point. Hein warned us of what happens next. The issue of the Islamic Center is more difficult because it is charged with emotions. While I respect the emotional response to say no to such a building, and there is real pain contained in that no, as a matter of law and of religious freedom, I feel morally bound to say yes. First, because if we proclaim protections in our Constitution, then all citizens must have those protections. I'm reminded of the words of Martin Niemöller, who wrote, First they came for the Jews, but I was not a Jew, so I did not speak out. Then they came for the communists, but I was not a communist, so I did not speak out. Then they came for the trade unionists, but I was not a trade unionist, so I did not speak out. And when they came for me, there was no one left to speak out for me. Acting and believing with courage often requires us to choose between our emotional reactions and that which is right and just. In this instance, I would prefer to speak with a courage and belief in our country and her citizens they capitulate to silence. That being said, there is also a charge and invitations that Muslims should take up. As many act with courage on behalf of Muslims, regardless of where this center is built, this is a time for Muslims to make the most of this moment and seek to build bridges across the country. We know as Jews that it is often more comfortable to stay in the ghettos to stay in our little enclosed communities that we've created for ourselves, to be safe within the walls. But today, Muslims have an opportunity to move beyond their walls. They have the opportunity to be known and to do so on their own terms. This is their opportunity at this moment. For our congregation this year, as we leave our services, 
there are several different uh, uh, opinions about what I've said. And I'm sure that some of you disagree with me. The task you must do, regardless of where you are on these issues, is to think through your own answers and reasons. How much kol nidre do you need to bridge your words and your feelings and actions? It is so easy to get caught up in emotional waves on either side of the issues I have presented. But now is the time to act and believe with courage and conviction. And I recognize that there are those who don't agree with my stand who do act from conviction. We need to reach out to Muslims. Think to yourself, how many Muslims do you know? If Beth David were to offer a trip to visit a mosque, a masjid, would you meet me here so that we could get to know our neighbors together? Ask yourself, are there places where synagogues should never be built? Is there ever a moment when a Torah scroll should be burned? Remember that our answers need to be as good for our concerns as they are for any other religious group. Only if they are can we be said to love our neighbors as ourselves. Shalom.